exciting guest with us today, aside from, of course, Phil, who is here with us as well. Hey, Hi, guys. Phil. Um, before we get into who our very exciting guest is, though, uh, I'm going to kick it off with uh, an entry from my past, of course. Hey, listen, Lissa. Listen, Lissa. Before you move forward, yeah. why don't you tell people about The Bitch Seat? All right, so listen... The Bitch Seat is a talk show about nostalgia and the most cringeworthy parts of our past. Um, basically, we ask people to share something that is uh, embarrassing for them to share, and then we ask them about it. And basically, it's an entryway into a larger conversation about the hardest part of life, Yeah, which I think is puberty. It's an entryway. It's also a bridge between who we are now and what we were then and what we, how, we, how we got there, connect the dots through sheer angst and embarrassment. Yes, the 2020 Vision yeah. of hindsight. Yeah, that's true. That's true, Phil. Nice. Anyway, we're here with the uh, Atlantic Transmission, which is uh, an amazing podcast network, and um, and uh, this is the first. This is the first real podcast. Yeah, it's our first in studio podcast. Usually, we do this sort of things live, so this is kind of cool. So it's very intimate. Yeah, I can't stop like whispering. It's very intimate. It is. Okay. Hi guys, we're yeah. right in your ear now. Yeah. I hope you don't feel violated. All right. On that happy <laughs> note, um, I actually have right. uh, a couple of contrasting things to read. We're gonna start. We're gonna start kind of dark because uh, for anyone who's listening who knows me, uh, I was a pretty dark little kid. But um, but then we're gonna bring it up a little bit. All right. All right. Uh, this is from a diary that I named Sophie. Uh, later on in my life, I had a dog named Sophie. Phil has a dog named Sophie. Um, a lot of synergy in Sophie. I guess so. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe it's my patron saint. Whatever. This is from uh, Sunday, March 7th, 1999. Uh, I was in high school. And of course, we start out uh, with a quote from a James Taylor song. Uh, I'm not going to do it, but it's You've Got a Friend, so go listen to it if you don't know the song. Really, really, really basking in the glory of my, of my sadness. All right. Sophie, I heard this on the radio this morning when I was in the shower. Maybe it was because James Taylor touches a heartstring, but I think my tears fell with the shower water for a different reason. Every time I hear James, a James Taylor song, first of all, it reminds me of Voices. Uh, Voices, by the way, was the small select choir in my high school that everybody was dying to be in. First of all, it reminds me of Voices, how I was not accepted this year, even though I have never wanted anything more. For my audition song, I had chosen Fire and Rain, not even thinking about the fact that whenever I heard James Taylor thereafter, I would be reminded of either an extraordinarily wonderful time or an extraordinarily awful time. The day of the lists had been sitting heavily upon me for months and months. That is, the lists of who was accepted and who was not, of course. During the last week of that hell, I could not sleep or eat. I lost weight. I had the energy and the heart to do nothing. Finally, the fateful Friday afternoon arrived. The lists were up. I had never been crushed so in my entire life. Never had I been rejected from such important things in all my musical career, the, uh, the like three-year-long musical career I had by the age of 17, of course. The voices list was void of my name, as was the damn Yankees list. The musical crushed me more simply because I had been looking forward to it for countless reasons, and also because I thought I was a solid and definite yes that I would be in. Don't get me wrong, I'm not being conceited. I simply figured that this was the area in which I could excel. I thought I had a good audition. I have had more dance experience than nearly everyone cast. It was enough to make anyone sure that, that they had made it. But then, to not be in the spring musical? 
to not have my last possible time with my idols, the seniors I loved, but, but that was unbelievably unfair. It was unreal. Tom and Dan and Amanda and Rob and Emily, I thought to myself with insane selfishness that I had completely and totally deserved the musical. I had worked so hard all year, waiting for my salvation of rehearsals and cast bonding and trips to the diner and final rides home, my reward for struggling studiously and being miserable all year. But when I found that I could not have any of this, it was simply not good enough to deserve the love of my life and the only thing that I had enjoyed so far in this hideous school, I cried as if there would be no tomorrow. For me, life felt over. It was gone. What worsened the pain was rejection from voices, especially after Ms. Ad said to me, I'm seriously considering you as a soprano. What made it hurt even more was the issue from that moment on, without rehearsals, what would I do with myself? Dance more? Hell no. I hated dancing and continued to for the sake of ex exercise and of tradition. Um, I'm going to stop here because it's just going further and further down yeah, the, the it's, vortex. It's, it gets pretty dark. It was a really, really, really bad day. And How I, old were you again? I was 16 or 17. Okay. And I walked out of school that day and it was snowing. I lived about like a mile and a half from school and I walked Home. Oh yeah. I walked home. Oh yeah, I've done that. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I felt yeah. so bad for myself. It's that day when you you just are you're defeated and you're like, you know what, I deserve this. Well, I, I did. I did. I did. You didn't but we you know, we think we do at the time. No, I mean I, I did feel I I don't know. It's well no, you do know. In high school it's rough. That's like there's one or two things that can break the monotony of having to go to school every day. And for me, it was the senior benefit, which was the annual school musical, which is kind of like Voices, I guess. We had something called like Voices. It was called, I think, octets, but there was like twelve of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you go caroling in the in the winter? I, I did, but I didn't enjoy it, and I didn't really want it. I did it like once, and then I just kind of stopped replying to uh, any sort of invites for it because it's just sort of. Oh, you didn't enjoy it. No, it was I, like my my lifeblood. Too many. There's just so many stage parents to go along and only so many of them will help me get a date with their daughter. So like, <laughs> what, what's the point? And also some of them, I don't, who's their daughter. I don't, I don't, I don't want to date. So it's like, if you wind up in a situation where your mother is a matchmaker all the time, it's just, why, why no, go out? No, my mother was totally antisocial. Oh God. That, my mom was, was the opposite. Um, but I did have a day like that for the senior benefits. I didn't get, I didn't get a part that I wanted. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's nothing, it's not like you have a life outside of school. It's like no. school is your entire life. So if you don't get that one thing you were pulling for, I mean, you're completely crushed. Oh yeah, absolutely. I see, uh, our guest here is, he's sort of raring to go. He's almost moving with, he's just ready to contribute. All right. All right. All so right. All right. All right. We're going to get started. Okay. All right. Fine. Phil. What? I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. No, he's just moving around. Okay. I'm, just, I'm he's calling got a lot it. To say. Okay. Listen guys, for you listeners, this is an extremely special treat. We have, he, he's saying, no, it's not. He is uh, a member of one of the most important uh, improv groups in the world, and uh, he's an amazing coach, super talented. He's been in the comedy world for years and years, and we are very excited to welcome Kevin Scott. Hey, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, we didn't tell you this was going to happen, yeah. but yeah, there you go. Who doesn't want to rock lobster lead Nobody doesn't. That's right. Thanks for that lead-in. Yeah. It's nice Everybody to feel old. That wasn't what I was intending. <laughs> no, we oh, just... that's what I filter. I filter out anything positive. <laughs> yeah, you're in a good sounds like you're in a good place right now. Sounds like you're in a good place. Yep, yep, better than it's been. Um, hi, hi. Do you uh, 
did, did you have like a particular momentous day in, in, uh, in your youth when you were completely let down cause you thought you were in for something? Uh, I'm, it's, it's, uh, no, uh, I'm sure. Yes. My, my, I was popular in school. You were. And I was the lead in all the shows. Oh man. Um, and it wasn't because I tried to do that. I think I just went to a type of school where someone like me could be popular. <laughs> what kind of school? What was it? A, what it was kind a of small was it? school. It was a, in a working class town called Levittown, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. And I was very fortunate. We had this director uh, in the high school. Um, his name was Lou Volpe. He just retired. He was one of the best high school theater directors in the country. Uh, nationally recognized. I know his name. There's a book written about him. He's the first high school director to do uh, Les Miserables and Rent. Like Broadway producers would go to my high school and say, well, you do the high school adaptation. Oh, wow. wow. And I went there because it was in my neighborhood. Like mm-hmm. I, it, it was just, you know, fate. You were so lucky. I was so lucky and I happened to enjoy theater and uh, was good enough to be cast. And uh, so my high school years were not really that awkward in that sense. Uh, I, I'm sure there was plenty of unrequited crushes and things sure. like that. And I do remember writing notes to girls like, will you go on a date with me? And stuffing it in their locker wait, and then wait, never hearing it. Oh, yeah. I know, but you don't understand. I yeah. was just talking to somebody the other day and saying how my, my entire experience of youth was having unrequited crushes on guys. And I would have fantasies, intense fantasies about them leaving notes in my locker. And it never, ever happened. Oh, see, but I did that. And then I wouldn't hear back. Like, they... Maybe they didn't know what my locker number was, and they were wandering the halls, but I think... <laughs> let's, let's just <laughs> they just dropped, like, 20 notes and random lockers. Yeah, there's. I hope mm-hmm. I get his, uh, but, yeah. Uh, and I remember telling some friends once at a, at a pool party that there was one particular girl that I'd asked out. Her name was Robin Powell. She's probably listening. Um, <laughs> Hi, Robin. And, and everyone knew that she was, like, the pretty girl in school, mm-hmm. and they all laughed at me because I had written her a note and stuck it in her locker, and I was like... Why is everyone, why do they think that's funny? Because I thought, well, of course she would go out with me because I'm a nice guy. And Wow, you were so yeah. sincere and just like un, untainted and Yeah. Yeah, positive. and even when they were laughing at me, like I wasn't embarrassed. I was just sort of like, well, that's strange. Because I thought they're probably afraid to ask someone out. They're probably afraid to write a note. But they usually, probably weren't. They're probably all making out with everyone when I wasn't around, but that's not how I saw it. No, but I thought that usually it was the boys who were more afraid of being forward and asking the girls. I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, I th- what girls asked me, but I would ask girls, but it was sort of... Never the right match? It, never, ever. I don't think it was ever the right match. I think it, it's hard to judge these things sometimes. Uh, we, we were both in an awkward circle of awkwardness, like the, around us. But like, Kevin, you, you're like a magical unicorn in this way, and I don't know if you realize that, but everybody else was having a really shitty time in high school. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was. Maybe I blocked it out. Maybe, you know, I've been in denial. Um, I thought it was pretty positive. Well, school for me was also an escape from my home life, which... What was going on there? Oh, it's just, you know, I was raised by wolves, basically. I was a house of... Uh, I, my mom's not going to listen to this. She doesn't know how to work a phone, so she's not going <laughs> to listen good. to a podcast. But no, my, my parents were, um, you know, they weren't equipped to be parents. I think they had kids way too young. I see. So you're not an only child. I'm not an only child, though I wish I was. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a joke. Listen, it's hard to get rid of that other attention. Uh, yeah. It's hard to lose it. How many siblings you had? Uh, I had uh, two older brothers and, a, and, a, and a, a younger sister. And a younger sister. Who's exactly. re- I almost said older sister because she's way more mature than I am and always has been. She's like responsible, has a house and a job. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, she lives in New Jersey, and you know, 
property taxes, all that yeah. stuff. She owns cars or leases cars. I'm like, how does someone go about doing that? You can that? do both. I guess. You can own one and lease one. That's crazy. She does that kind of thing. But it's great. It's like she did all the like responsible, normal adult things, and you do all the fun things. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Dangerous, risky, you know, gambling your life by choosing to be in the arts, the theater arts. <laughs> That's what it is. It is. It's basically choosing insanity. Yeah. And choosing to just forget that you've made an insane choice and just move forward with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So you said that, so high school was pretty pretty sweet ride for you, but you said yeah. your awkward time was... It was on. a little later because I think, because I went to the special high school and uh, was lucky to, to be cast in things and to be well-liked, um, that when I went to college, I thought that would continue, and it really didn't. That's when it, I really hit puberty in college, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, the awkwardness of puberty and, and trying to negotiate, um, you know, not, not walking down the halls and having people know who I was. Yeah. It was weird and foreign to me. Wow. It's, it's like you changed places with a pauper. Yeah. You had to- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was just, we happened to look identical. Yeah. This guy's having the life in theater and you're just roughing it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was tough times in college. Yeah. So what did, you, what did you do for yourself to make yourself feel more grounded and more at home once you were there and you were this tiny fish in a huge pond? Um, well, I, had, I was also very lucky in that in my hometown there was an amusement park. <gasps> what was it? It's Hershey, called, Dorney? No. It's, uh, I've been to both many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sesame Place. Oh, yeah. Sesame Place. Wait, that's a real place? That's yes. not Sesame Street? Yes. Are we, they related? Yes. It was, it was founded by the Children's Television Workshop, but it was later bought by the <sighs> Bush Entertainment Company, Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. As um, in Bush Gardens. As in Bush Gardens. Yeah. And so they, they run it now. They bought it out. But at the time, it was co-run by the, by the two. And uh, when I say at the time, the time that I worked there. Yeah. I got my first job at Sesame, at Sesame Place. At Sesame Place? As an actor, performing. Wow. You are a magical unicorn. Exactly. And I, and, and I, you know, I could walk to, the, to work if I wanted to. Wow. That is a really interesting area of Pennsylvania. It's very strange. Because yeah. Hershey is itself its own town. Yeah. I, I was stuck there at night one time trying to, I had a, a, a traveling murder mystery thing I would do. And I, I got, it was in Hershey, but I was stuck for an hour going in a circle around the town because it's almost like it doesn't <laughs> want you to leave. <laughs> yeah. It's the Bermuda Triangle of amusement parks in Pennsylvania. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, so continue. So you get, so, you get so, so yeah, I had this great time in high school and then my first job, you know, at 16 is as working a professional at actor. as a professional actor, um, you know, professional in quotes, you know, and I, I, I was paid more than anyone else I knew. I was paid like $10 an hour at a time when the minimum wage was like $6 yeah. an hour. Wow. So I was, I was living the dream Yeah. and this was all before college and through, through college, but like, you know, that was, it was amazing. And I thought my life should be like that all the time. And again, I was popular at this park because I was in an elevated position. So you hadn't had your rude awakening yet? Had not had my rude awakening. That came in college when I was, you know, I made the huge mistake of going to a state school, uh, a big football school. Penn State? Penn State. It's huge. It's its its own city. It and is. it's, it's you know, full of bro bros. No yeah. offense yeah. to any bro bros who, who are bros. most likely not hey, listening. I don't think the bro bros are going to be listening to yeah, the bitch seat. Yeah, I up their alley. Um, yeah, a lot of bro bros, a lot of drinking. Um, I remember... Sports. A lot of sports. And I remember one guy died <laughs> oh, from God. like alcohol poisoning like my first day there. Uh, welcome to college. And everyone was like, yeah, that happens. Like, does it really? Ugh. Does it need to? Yeah, so it was that, those were my uncomfortable years, just sort of like trying to, you know, 
find my place in that world and realizing that that's really the larger world and that's really much of America and the tiny bubble I was in was a tiny yeah. bubble. It was like Brigadoon you were living inside. It really, it really a was. <laughs> it, was like, it, comes, it comes every hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then you get deposited inside this dangerous world where someone dies at your feet mm-hmm. when you show up. That's terrible. Yeah. Well, I think like, that's also like a... a something that people feel as soon as they graduate from college after they, they have left all of the bubbles, all of the, the, the hallowed walls of academia and then are thrown to again, the wolves of real life with no preparation whatsoever. I actually moved to Chicago after, um, college and started studying with the second city. So I went right back into another bubble. Yeah. And it's quite nice. We're always searching for bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm in a few of them myself. Yeah. Yeah. Big red bubble, (laughs) big red, white and black bubble. Call the people's improv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have stuff for us. Yeah, I, yeah. Quite a I few just, things. you know, I wasn't sure what to bring. I brought a random assortment of things. There's, you know, you're talking about cringeworthy worthy things, and and this is not when I was younger. But this, there's a photograph of me when I had long hair. I had very long hair. My hair was very curly, and as it gets long, I start to resemble Kenny G, yeah. the world's greatest soprano saxophonist. And by the way, uh, you can you'll be able to find. Um, Pictures of this on uh, on the website. If you yeah. go to uh, lissamandel.com slash the hyphen bitch hyphen seat, uh, there'll be uh, pictures for you to see. But yeah, your your hair looks like it's also asymmetrical. So it's like super tight and curly on one side, but really yeah, long and stringy on the other probably, side. Were you whipping your I hair? I was probably it... standing sideways. Okay. And then we changed did the photo. Did you comb that? Did you go outside like that? No, I think it's, yeah, well, all the time. Yeah, it was a, it was a mess. Um, and I But I thought I looked cool. Um, and I, it got me attention, you know, uh, the, the true story is I started growing my hair out. It was, uh, two things happened. One, I was in a, I was in a play that I wrote and I think I brought something from it. Maybe, maybe I forgot it. Uh, I was in a play I wrote about Sid Vicious, the punk rocker. Oh, Oh, nice. And so I grew my hair out for that. And that's when I first noticed it was curly. And around that same time, my father had passed away. And I think, I don't know, I didn't know how to deal with that. Who does? Um, who has more than one father? pass away so you don't have that opportunity to go right. through it once no yeah, yeah. you know some maybe a to step prepare died, you yeah you know um so i think also growing my hair out was a way to deal with that i i, I was just thinking that oh, this absolutely. morning like trying to figure out why was i growing my hair out well hair is, is such an expressive thing and like yeah. you know they say when you when you when you have a haircut you cut off some old baggage and mm-hmm. i think that if you dye it some people dye it you know when they're going through a thing yeah change your hair change your life it, is that a thing that you made up? Is that a thing? Mm, that's a thing. That's in every rom-com I've ever seen, and I've seen all of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a trope and a half. When, yeah. And when you're wearing your hair like this, so you, you were getting the attention, and that, did that fuel you? You were like, oh, yes, this is what I wanted, people to oh, look yeah. at me again. Yes, totally. I was known as the guy with the long hair. You know, I was a white guy doing improv comedy. And at that time, improv comedy was all white guys. And a few. yeah. You know, a few here and there that weren't white dudes, but primarily it was all white dudes. And so it was a way to separate myself from the crowd a little sure. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, people would also want to touch my hair. You know, girls. It's like the Blarney Stone. Hey. You know, it's much, much like the Blarney Stone. <laughs> I gave luck to those brave enough to So, you know, that's interesting. Uh, so it was kind of like, like your lucky rabbit's foot. Only it was on your head. You had it with you all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a bit of a talisman, a, a totem, if you will. Yeah. A sign. I'm obsessed with uh, with the anthropologists call signage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tribal markings mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how we still do that today. And that you know, people wear sports t-shirts or 
concert t-shirts or other more subtle forms of signage to say, I'm this type of person. This is my taste. This is my worldview. It, it is tribal. It is tribal. It's a way yeah. of, of marking yourself and, and for other people who happen to be looking for those subtleties and be like, oh, I'm not alone. Yeah. There's one of my people. Yeah. yeah. You see yeah. them across the room or on the subway. You're like, oh, that's, we, we speak the same language. Yes. So this, I don't know what I was trying to say. You know, I was, it was the 90s. And if you guys know the 90s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We know the 90s. We know the, I was but, lucid during all the 90s. Yeah. So Definitely. Nirvana. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the Pearl Jams. Yes. The Pearl Jam and all of their. Uh, all the. Their the, ilk, the, all the people that came after the them, the parades yeah. of Creed, the creeds of the world, the Stone Temple and the Pilots, yes. all those types of bands that maybe that was sort of an influence or a way to like. I do remember a lot of long hair. Yeah, oh. I was trying to like be part of my generation. Yeah, Generation X, we were called by the mm-hmm. media. There was always like the the long hair music video guy on, on MTV. Yeah, there I was, was sort of that guy. You were that guy. But yeah. I also, you know, in, in this photograph, I'm wearing a suit. You know, I also would wear. I always sort of like dressing, even in my high school, which was a public high school, very blue collar, it was a steel mill town. Mm-hmm. I would wear ties to school and button down shirts oh God. to look like a prep school kid. And you never got bullied? No. He got wow. the opposite kind you of got intention. The opposite. I, was like, oh, I just I, I know I just wanted to stress that. Okay. Yeah, I was never I was not bullied at school. Yeah. Again, my home life was chaos. Right. <laughs> well it always is in one side or the other. Yeah. 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 yeah so well, tell me about, so you brought some really awesome, like perfectly aged newspapers with you. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a long time to age these. Nice um, manila I color. didn't destroy them and they- Oh, um, they look like an anthropology window. Perfect. Yeah. There's also, I don't know if there's this, I had designed a logo for myself at the time I was trying to be a stand-up comic. Oh my Oh my gosh. God. Okay. You're going to find a picture of this in the website And too. I had designed my own logo. I was like, this is genius. It's- That's actually It's pretty, the Groucho Marx uh, glasses and nose. Yes. I was like, that says comedy to me. I Absolutely. thought comedy was like cat skills or you know old yeah, schmaltzy yeah. stuff um and that's and this i don't know type i invented my own typeface how very did you get so you have this whole page yeah. in the newspaper how did this you get was, this whole well, spread at there was a time i switched campuses i went to penn state and i switched campuses several times to sort of find my place and you could so it's statewide school so you could jump campuses and at one point i was at the Ogons campus, which was like a suburban campus, much smaller. And that's sort of when I started to find myself because I would do... Because you didn't get lost in the giant waves of people. Right. And I would, I would do comedy on campus and uh, at like lunchtime, we had these like lunchtime comedy shows and I would tell jokes and I'm sure I thought they were brilliant jokes. Mm-hmm. I think they were all stolen from early George Carlin stuff. Listen, you could, st- you could steal from worse. Yeah, yeah, for you know, sure. I, I could have stolen from Richard Pryor, and who knows how that would have turned out. <laughs> but uh, for some reason, like that, just jokes I had liked when I was younger were in my head, and I thought I wrote them, or variations, you know, which is what you do when you're starting out. You know, yeah, you, you, you look to your examples. That's fine. So to get to the newspaper, I don't know how. I think someone saw me telling the jokes, like, hey, would you write something for the campus newspaper? You were approached then. Uh, yeah, because I certainly didn't go to them. Telling you, you have a star over your head. Yeah, go because I was like borderline failing English uh, every class. I was always in trouble in English class. It was just for lack of interest, though, not for yeah, lack of. Yeah, I was just sort yeah. of like punctuation. Who cares, man? <laughs> there are bigger problems yeah. in the world right now. Seriously, oh punctuation, man, yeah, it doesn't, punctuation doesn't matter. Um, well, I would love to hear a little uh, excerpt of this. Okay, I've not read this in a very long time. Well, and, good. We're gonna find I'm just out gonna together. Be a very short excerpt. I'll just start at the beginning. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. And I'll go, oh, God, I'm already embarrassed. That's good. Um, I don't, do, the, uh, should I explain my, my mindset before or just go into it? 
We were kind of on the mindset, you know. We kind of get it. Yeah. All right. But I, we, I do need the uh, the title of this. Yes. Uh, the title. This is in the features section of the Ogons Campus News. How I saw the fate of Western civilization in my waffles. I would already read it. Which I guarantee I thought was the most brilliant line ever. Very eye catching. <laughs> it's not bad. It's like it's so funny. <laughs> oh, God. And then it says my name there. I got a byline. This is my only byline. Congratulations. In the history of my life. All right. The day before Easter, on a late Saturday night, five of my friends, it's in quote, uh, quotes, convinced me against my strong protest that the best possible thing for us to do was to pile into a car and drive to Atlantic City. Uh, it will be great to see the sunrise over the ocean, they said. It's too late. I need my sleep, I said. But you're young, they said. Live a little. And uh, <laughs> you're... Oh, it's the Y-O-U-R, your. Yeah, it's the... Uh, wow, uh, Wow. Possessive. Mm-hmm. Different um, times, you know, different times then. It was different times. Now you know why I failed. <laughs> <laughs> you had more important things conceptually yeah. to do. Uh, but you're young, they said. Live a little. I can't, I said. Tomorrow's Easter Sunday. God might get mad. Uh, I should also stress here, I was an atheist by this point. I know. I was going to pause and ask what that, what that experience was in your yeah. life, the oh, religious. I, I certainly was not uh, religious by any means. And, and I love debating with people mm-hmm. um, just to get them upset. <laughs> Um, all right. We were at a standstill. They stood for spontaneity, standing on the beach at 6 a.m. and general reckless abandon. I stood for going home, getting some sleep, and not getting killed or arrested. I decided I would not join my band of mirthful minions in this foolhardy escapade. I walked to my car, and one of the female members of the brigade gave me a peck on the cheek and a please that would have melted the heart of even the Ayatollah Khomeini. Wow. Political Topical. Yeah, very Topical. topical. Yeah. Uh, I change my mind as I am only human, and being human means I'm only made of chemicals. Often, as on this night, I seem to be made mostly of testosterone, a chemical which can make one do the most irrational things, like run through a supermarket naked, asking to be whipped with a lunch meat. Wait, did you do that? No. Uh, I was trying to be funny. I thought this was hilarious. Uh, Lunch meat wrapped in cellophane or to take off for Atlantic City in the middle of the night, all because a girl gives you a peck on the cheek. Is that, is that good enough? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's great. A, You're an excellent writer. On. Yeah. A great storyteller in this. Really? Is this is this online somewhere? No. You should transcribe. I probably have the only copy. This is probably the only copy in existence. But wait, a true but, artifact. So you don't have to read the whole thing, yeah. but I want to know why the waffles reference. Uh, well, you actually can't remember. I know we ended up at Donald Trump's... Here's where it gets really... Oh. Uh, Topical again. Where it gets... Uh, <laughs> I have to find where it is. Where the Donald Trump is. See, he's been here all along. We had it for a diner he's called the left. Chatterbox. So somewhere in here, we went to Atlantic City, mm-hmm. and we're at the Trump Casino. And there's no clocks in casinos. You guys know. Oh that. yeah. I didn't know that. No, yeah. Um, but in Atlantic City, there was a law that the casinos had to be shut for one hour a day, and so they would have to kick everybody out, and they would clean the casinos because mm-hmm. Atlantic City didn't want to be like Vegas. They didn't want to be that. Oh, they wanted to be the classier. <laughs> the good, well, to be classier. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good try. Um, yeah, good try. Yeah. And uh, But it was also, in this particular day, it was the day they changed the clocks every year. Mm-hmm. You know, the clock went forward or backward. So theoretically, uh, we could time travel because the clocks had changed outside the casino. But inside the casino, they hadn't changed the clocks <gasps> yet to get one more hour of nighttime. So we were going in and out of the door time traveling. All right, so... <laughs> wow, that is a philosophical conundrum. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'll get to this. This is a kind of a long paragraph. Uh, we headed for a diner called the Chatterbox. I found it comforting that as Atlantic City 
was dozing for the night, Ocean City was opening for the day. One could stay awake forever. In this diner, our waitress was Anne Marie, who was perhaps the rudest woman I have ever had the misfortune of having serve me a meal. Her attitude was so sour that one of my friends asked, uh, what were you doing in the back room? Sucking lemons? She was the kind of person who would shoot Bambi's mother. Poor oh, Anne Marie. Oh my God. Oh, she was having a bad day. Seriously. I don't know. Uh, I must have been a big Bambi fan. We ate our <laughs> meal and headed for home. In the back seat, two couples ignoring all but their own groping and fondling. The two in the front seat abstained from necking and slept during the ride. Who was driving while they slept? We're still not quite sure, but we think it involved a mystic man named Sammy. I don't know what that means. <laughs> the large marge of the story. Yeah, the, the large marge. I think I like non sequiturs and obscure references. I don't know who the Sammy is referencing. Probably Sammy Davis Jr. I don't know. <laughs> My thoughts are of Riff Raff and all the people we saw waiting outside the casino because it was closed for an hour for cleaning. The faces of those people who couldn't wait for another chance to win a fortune. They milled around in a waiting room provided by the casino so they wouldn't get cold. Above them was an advertisement for a book written by the casino owner, Donald Trump. It's called The Art of the Deal. It explains how he got so rich. I looked at those faces and I thought it should be called The Art of the Steel. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Perhaps Tolstoy was wrong. We should do what we can to alleviate, to alleviate the immediate suffering, to help who we can. And maybe someday we will see the sunrise on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, I guess I'd referenced Tolstoy earlier, you know, trying to sound smart and pretentious. I'd maybe read the cliff notes uh, on a class that I probably skipped most of. You know, it really reminds me, though, of, uh, and I don't know if you were a catcher in the rye person. Oh, yeah. But it, the prose really reminds me of that. That sort of bleak storytelling where you imply the emotions that everybody feels without really going into how you feel. I'll take that. I don't deserve it, but I'll take it. Thank you. I, I think it's beautiful, and oh, I think thanks. I would rather vote for you for president. Oh, yeah. So, really? Absolutely. Is it too late for me to get in it's the game? It's not too late. It's not, it's not too late. late. I, I was like two months from now. Just go oh, to Iowa, just go to Iowa. for a while. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Did you, um, just, now when you published this, yeah. did you, was there any kind of, uh, did your friends read it? Did anybody read it? Did you hear responses about it? Um, yeah, I do remember people saying, oh, that was good, but not at all the response I thought I would get, you know. Because you thought you were writing the great American Yeah, I thought I was something. being very pithy, wise, saying something important, you know. I was just sort of awakening to my political self, even mm -hmm. though I did grow up kind of in a political household. Uh, my parents, well, like my grandfather was in the IRA, the Irish Republican Army. Oh, wow. So he claims, I don't know, <laughs> but he, he claims he used to deliver bombs uh, when he was a kid. Um and there was like these Irish organization picnics we would go to like every year to raise money. Oh, God. Are you Irish on both sides? Um, for the most part, yeah. I think there's a lot of mixing that goes back. But um, culturally, everyone was Irish. Like it was shamrocks and all that stuff all the live long day. And But, you know. Uh, so interesting. You and, yeah. And lefty. So I was in a political household. Growing up, but I didn't really awake to my own politics till around this time, maybe. And until you got to this time, did you felt did you feel responsibility to carry on the traditions that you had grown up with, or were you getting were you ready to break away from it? Because it sounded like your family life was not awesome. Oh yeah, no, but well, I, I, it's funny because now reading this, I realized what I was putting my mission statement out to the world that everybody wants to go and party to Atlantic City. 
but I wanted to go home and get some sleep and be responsible, which is like my house growing up. You know, I say Irish. You, there's a couple of things you think of. You think of drinking and fighting, mm-hmm. right? And that was sort of what I grew up. That was the culture. And I wanted to be the opposite. I wanted to. I wanted to go to bed early and get some sleep. You know, literally and metaphorically. Yeah, it was pushing back against what you had. Yes, what you had had, which I yeah. think I think a lot of kids I think a lot yeah. of kids do that. Like my, as I was saying before, my mother was super antisocial. She hated having guests. She didn't like attention, and I became the complete and total opposite of that. Yeah. You know, my mom's really hospitable with with stuff and food and things. And sometimes when, like, I'm I'm okay at a bar, but when I'm home, I really don't want anyone to bother me. <laughs> <laughs> I just really, I just want quiet time. That's I don't what home is for. That's yeah. what home is for. It is. It is. Seriously. Um, well, listen, Kevin. Yeah. I um. I want to. I want to wrap it up by giving mm-hmm. you a gift. Uh-oh. Uh oh. So uh, for the listeners uh, at the bitch seat, we have this tradition of giving gifts of things that were basically uh, junk in my childhood house because uh, I I grew up and saved a lot of stuff, and so did my parents, and uh, it's still there. And rather than throw it in the garbage, I thought I would give some of it a oh new God, life. That's, that's really special. All right. So really nice. uh, don't get too excited. It's not a big deal. I can't get too excited. Um, There's no limit to my excitement. <laughs> I had a massive collection of art supplies, pens, pencils, markers, all those things. Of course you did. I was a very creative kid. And so uh, what I have for you here is a, um, it's called a doodle top. And it's a spinning top with a marker on the end, oh, so you can spin it like a dreidel, god. and it will it will draw beautiful dreidel, mystic dreidel. spirals. Oh my god! I think it still works. Well, you might have to oh, rewet it a little bit. I may have to replace the table. No, the table's good. The table loves it. It works. Yeah, it does. It this is awesome. Thank it, you. It's purple. Really it matches great. your shirt. And um, the doodle top. Listen. I could talk to you for hours. You have so much great stuff here. All right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to continue this at, at, at another time. Yeah, come back anytime. Yeah, sure. But um, okay, Tuesday. I'll be here Tuesday. Sure. All right, sounds Tuesday. good. Let's Kevin Scott, thanks for uh, joining us hey, on thanks the Thanks for having seat. me, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Well, Phil. That concludes an episode. The first episode. That concludes the first studio episode of The Bitch Seat. Wow. I think it was as good as a pilot could be. This was essentially a pilot, right? So the next one that we do in 10 minutes won't be a pilot. It can be the sophomore slump. It's a so- This next one's going to be a mess. Right. Yeah. Great. Great positive thinking. Third one, we're going to find our footing. But by that point, everybody will be done with us. Phil Cassell, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. My positive boyfriend, Phil I'm Cassell. I'm kidding. That was great. It was a good time. Anyway, so... For- <laughs> I was waiting precisely, for that. Precisely. Precisely. So, uh, so yeah, uh, if you want uh, any more information on live shows coming up or... Um, uh, pictures of, of uh, guests when they were little and pictures of the beautiful artifacts they made, check out uh, lissamandel.com slash the-bitch-seat. Uh, and uh, we are a member of the Atlantic Transmission. And Kevin. Oh, yes. Do you have anything coming up that you would uh, like to tell the audience? Yes. Uh, my world-famous uh, improv ensemble Centralia is going to be at the Pit Loft for a once-a-month residency now through June. Congratulations. Nice. Uh, and I believe I'm also in a new uh, improv group, uh, the Pit, on 24th Street every Saturday at 8 with uh, Chris Roberti, Dion Flynn, uh, oh. Justin Aiken. Oh, it's not Big like, Black Card. No, it's, it's taking over for that spot. is taking over that spot. <gasps> Congratulations. I've been invited. Nice. That's so exciting. It's the changing yeah. of the guard. It's going to be the changing of the guard. Congratulations. I can't wait Thank to you. see it. It's great. It's going to be fun. I'm awesome. very excited. Very fun. Every awesome. Saturday, 8 o'clock, the pit. Excellent. Very right. exciting. You heard, you heard it here first, guys. Very All right. exciting. All right. Well, everybody, have an awesome day. Write down everything that happens to you because it's going to be interesting down the line. And thanks to our audio engineer, Kent Wilhelm. Oh, 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 oh,
I'm Ben. As always, I'm Paul. And we're from Juicy Reviews. We have a podcast where we like to talk and review movies, maybe bring on a wacky character from that movie, and always play some games. We like some games. I actually brought a clip, Paul. Wait, you brought a clip? I brought a clip. Can I listen? Yeah. I look mad young, right? Yeah, yeah. you look young in the movie, and... Uh, I hooked up with a bunch of the young chicks at the movie. Oh, you know what? You know what? It's not illegal if you're a police officer. And, I and, believe that, And this yeah. is something I wanted to bring up since you're here. Sure. Tell us about all the hookups on set. Oh, my God. Who's Hun- hooking up with who? Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, like, there's, like, these, like, Asian girls in the movie. Right. They play, I, the twins, I right? triple kissed them. Okay, oh. a little triple kiss. Triple that way kissed. you didn't get confused if it was Rachel or Rebecca. Yeah, 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 exactly. I was like, oh, whatever, and I triple kissed them. Was and was that offset or on camera, or and they got cut out maybe, or? Oh, uh, I didn't do it on camera for sure. Okay. I would never, because I, you know, what I mean, that's I could get in a lot of trouble for that. They, I don't, I don't know how old they are. I can never tell with them. But uh, who else? Let me see. Cecily, the girl. Yeah. I chalked. I, I chalked her. You chalked her. What, <laughs> I chalked what is, her. What is chalking? That's when you kind of forcibly kiss someone. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!